Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, hey, Movement. How's it going? My name is Trey Gilmore, and uh, I'm the church planning resident here. Just for a few more months, we actually have a pretty awesome update for Contrast Church. For those of you who maybe don't know, um, me being the church planning resident means that I basically spent a year with Movement and also another sister church called Three Creeks, and just learning and growing there, um, having the opportunity to plant a new church this fall. We're planning it in Grandview, and uh, I have about three more months left of my residency, and we're just making some awesome strides. And so I want to just say thank you so much for just being a generous church, for um, just praying for us, giving to us financially, even even maybe going with us or sending some of your friends, having that hard conversation. Uh, we believe in our DNA and in movement's DNA that sending is success, that it's required in, in terms of our um, mission of making disciples and uh, reaching people who don't know Jesus. And so I'm just so thankful and grateful uh, for our, right now we have 47 people, including kids on our launch team, which is just awesome and phenomenal and a great blessing. And uh, it's been exciting to even, we've been growing from the inside out as uh, Sarah and I have welcomed our little baby girl, Junia, a couple weeks ago. And so we're excited for that as well. It's kind of a crazy, awesome, fun journey. So if you can just continue to be praying for us in this time, our team is kind of laying low this summer, just trying to vacation and enjoy the time and the rhythms of the, of the year. And then this fall, we're going to be launching our expressions of community, which would kind of be, you know, what you maybe know of movement groups will be kind of like that in our own uh, context. And so we're, we're really excited for that. And we're just thankful for those of you who are supporting and praying for us and just continue to do that. But I also have the opportunity today to share with you a teaching uh, in Philippians. We've been going through the book of Philippians, and I think it's just the perfect time for it. And uh, I want to I wanna jump into Philippians 3. But before we do, I kind of want to talk about a story that I think kind of goes in tandem with what Paul is going to be talking about this entire chapter and passages that we're talking about. He talks about running. And uh, I don't know if you're a runner, if maybe you've ran somewhere before, but uh, I'm not a runner. In fact, people often get mad when I say that because they say, well, you're tall. You clearly have a runner's body. You're skinny. You don't have a lot to move. It should be easy. You can take half the strides that I take. While that is true, people do hate walking with me. I don't like running. Uh, I like running when it comes to playing a sport where it's like, oh, you, you run in soccer to go get the ball to, sh- to, to score whatever. I like doing that. I like playing tennis. I like playing basketball. Those involve, involve running. But when someone's like, hey, you want to just go run with me, I'm typically going to tell you no. And uh, regardless of that, not really loving running. If you love running, I'm sorry. But I decided early in my 20s that I would run a marathon. And um I don't know why, I guess just people, a bunch of people had it on their bucket list. And I was like, I should do that too. That seems like a hard thing to do and would be worth it in the bucket list. So I lived in Arizona and we have one of the easiest marathons in the U.S. is what they claim. They have it in December when it's like 70 degrees. It's pretty much all downhill. And I figured, well, now's my chance. I'm in my early 20s. I, I don't like, I haven't pulled anything or broken any bones or whatever. This is my chance. So I decided to do it. And uh, it's funny, for those of you who don't know, a marathon is 26.2 miles and uh, the, the kind of legend, if you will, it's a bit disputed of the history of marathon is that uh, in, in Greek history, a long time ago, there was a soldier who was in a battle in the city of Marathon and they were fighting the Persians. And the Persians 
uh, were defeated. And so the soldier ran about 25-ish miles the whole way back to Athens and told the, uh, um, the people in Athens that they had won. In fact, it says that he wasn't in great shape and he delivered the message Nikai, which means victory, and then he killed over and he died. That's the story. So then what we do is in today's world is we decide, you know what, I'm going to pay $100 with a few other thousand people and we're going to try to run that race and not die, essentially, is the goal. So I decided, let's do it. So I, I tried and attempted to run a marathon. So I, w- I want to bring us to Philippians 3, great transition, but I want to bring us to Philippians 3 where Paul also talks about racing, he talks about running. And uh, he starts this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, and he says this. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things he talks about earlier, or that I have already achieved perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. So if we notice here, Paul is using this analogy of a race. And in fact, he's, he's basically using it to be um, an analogy of our spiritual journey, that we are all on this race. And what's interesting about this race is that I would argue that actually everybody's on a race. Everybody's on a journey, whether you are a Christian or not, you're, you're, you're racing towards something, that you have a goal at the end that is in mind that you are fighting to pursue. And uh, this brings up really uh, one of our first main things of racing that I want us to remember. There's kind of three main principles. The first one is this one, always know your why. Always know your why. So when you're running a race, you got to know, all right, why am I doing this? And wherever the goal is, you have to know why you have that goal and what it means to run towards that. One of the most inspirational uh, analogies for for always knowing your why comes when uh, we talk about Navy SEALs. If you've ever uh, talked with a Navy SEAL or maybe someone who attempted to go through the training to be a Navy SEAL, one of the biggest things that they want to focus on is the mental stability that requires them to be able to do what they got to do in uh, the training and, and even the job. And they have to know their why because when you're being drowned in the pool and being hit and slapped and trying to untie yourself or tie a knot or whatever, and you're taking on water and you're actually drowning, your inclination is, I'm going to go up and I'm going to go live and breathe air. And they say, well, if you go up, you, you don't pass. So what you have to do is you have to fight through a lot of the inclination of your body and you got to know your why. Why am I doing this? Why am I being willing to be drowned? And it has to be deep enough to fight the battle of what the difficulties are in your life. And a lot of us, I think, it's no different in the spiritual world. There's, there's times in our race when we feel like we're drowning, when there's, there's hardship arising, and we have to be willing to know our why. It has to be actually powerful. We can't just say, well, my why is to follow Jesus. You might know that intellectually, but if it's not really translating to your heart, then you're not going to have the tenacity when the time comes to be able to withstand hardship. And Paul kind of gets at this when he talks about it in verse 12. He, he talks about this, this word perfection. And to us, we sometimes misunderstand it. We think like, oh, it's 100%, like no flaws, anything. Uh, at this culture, it was, it was more of like an attaining towards. It was, it was almost as if um, they, they, it was rooted in the word, the Greek word telos, which would essentially mean the end or the goal. And so when you talk about perfection, it was the striving towards a goal, towards an end. And so when Paul uses this, he's not saying like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be perfect. He's saying that Christ is perfect. And then through Christ that I achieve that same uh, hope. And 
And that's kind of what it, what it means to, to have this why in our race, that we're, we're fighting for something that's more powerful than just something we say, that we think we know we say, that we've heard other people say, that our parents have told us to say, but that it's something that actually is powerfully igniting in our heart. And that's why Paul, before this little uh, passage that we read, he actually tells you his, his telos, his why. And he says this, he says in verse eight, right before that, he says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. So Paul's why, it's simple. It's to know Christ and to be like him. Now, sometimes we, we take no and we think, oh, intellect, like we need to know things about Christ. And while that is absolutely a part of it, it's not the only aspect of knowing Christ. Knowing in this idea was a lot more about putting our heart, our mind, and our body through this in one, uh, in one way. And, and so when he says, and to be like him, that's what he's kind of getting at. He's like, I wanna be able to not only know about Jesus, and the things he's done, who he may have been or is, but that I want to know Jesus. Like, I want to know him in, a, in an intimate relationship. I want it to inform not only my mind, but my heart and my, my hands or the things that I do, that it would move me to have the habits and uh, actions that are of him. And that's, that's kind of the way that we have to think about our spiritual race is that we might know intellectually what our why should be, but we don't really believe it, that it doesn't really have a depth in our hearts that allows us to have this focus during the race. And it's hard because I think a lot of times we're all longing for something, that our heart is always attuned to something. Our heart doesn't stop loving. What it does is, if this is our true north, it just becomes misaligned. It, it loses the trajectory of where it needs to be. And a lot of times we, we say we know our why, but then our heart is like, nope, I'm over here. You might say, oh yeah, Jesus is my Lord, like, that's my, that's my end goal is to become more like him, but you live literally 0% of your life based on that idea. And I think that sometimes we even think we are pursuing the Lord, but we don't necessarily have maybe the healthiest community or maybe the right um, um, heart towards him. And so we think we are, but we're really kind of missing the mark in that way. And, and Paul actually has the same problem that if you, if you heard in the verse earlier, he said, yes, I count all this garbage. What he's talking about is his credentials for actually what would make him a stellar follower of God at the time. He says, look, I was a Jew, I was circumcised, I was a part of the tribe of Benjamin, which was like the it tribe. He's like, I was flawless in the law and in everything I was found faultless. Like I was doing the things. I was living the life. He thought he was pursuing what it meant to be at the end of the race. And what he realizes is it was all garbage. And he's pretty br like brutal on that. Like all of that was garbage. It wasn't like helpful. It was garbage because the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ is by far much greater. So number one, we got to know our why in our race. And I think we have to continually work back at like, okay, is this why actually something that I believe? Or is it just something I feel like I got to say? Is it something I've been raised with? Is it something everyone else around me is doing? And so I feel pressure. Maybe you're in a marriage right now where your spouse like totally knows her why in the right way or his why, but you're like, yeah, I don't really, I don't really like, I don't, I don't buy it as much as them. I'm just kind of feel like I have to. So I'd ask yourself, like, what is your why? And why are you having trouble maybe knowing what it is? Number two, when we're running a race, when we're in our spiritual journey, 
We have to pursue the right attitude and posture. Attitude and posture. We know that when we run a race, it's, a, it's not, this is not, life is not a short sprint. For most of us, it's a long race that requires a lot of time, a lot of energy. There's a lot of different obstacles that we will face. And uh, when it came to running, I had a couple, several different obstacles, actually. The first one became, even before race day, I had kind of learned, I've been told by most people that I have terrible posture. I'm tall, so like I kind of sunk, like sunk over. Uh, but I realized that I ran with terrible posture too, that I didn't keep my, you know, kind of my back straight and, uh, and affected, to, it started to hurt my back actually when I was running. And uh, not only was it unattractive when I ran, didn't look right, but uh, it, was, it was bad for my back. And I think a lot of us actually have this in our spiritual uh, journey that we are able to run. We think we're running in the right way, but our posture, our attitude is just terrible. It's just not helpful. And that's why Paul's writing this letter. That's why we chose this for this time. There's no coincidence here. We believe that, that the, the book of Philippians that's written to these people is, I think, a bit prophetic for what we're dealing with now. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, maybe you're not on social media or ever read the news or go out anywhere, but uh, there's a pandemic going on. There is a lot of race, racism and, and tension over uh, people of color. And there's, there's uh, also a presidential election coming up. So uh, you can throw all those in the mix and then anything else in your own life. You're going to realize that there's a lot going on right now, that in our race, there's so many things convoluting what we think we should know is truth that should inform our minds, our positivity, the, the things that we do. And in the, the church of Philippi, they weren't dealing with the exact same things, but what Paul is writing them for is he's writing to friends and he's just trying to encourage them, hey, here's how you find joy in the midst of all this. Here's how you cut through all of the stuff and you find joy in the midst of this. And when he's talking about running in this passage, he's able to show us that we got to have the right attitude and we got to have the right posture. And I think, you know, we might ask, well, what is, what is the right attitude? Like, what does that even mean? I can't just wake up and be like, I'm going to be happy today. What, it, what, is it, what does it mean to have the right attitude? Paul uses this uh, little phrase, uses it later, just after uh, the race. And he says this in verse 20. He says, after uh, talking about some things that really affect us negatively, bring us down, he says, but we're citizens of heaven. And he says, we are, he doesn't say we will be. He says, we are, meaning now, here and now, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. So if you've maybe heard this phrase here and not yet, the here and not yet, that's kind of what he's getting at here, that our attitude needs to, needs to remember that the kingdom of God, the availability of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom, Jesus and the gospel are here now changing our lives and affecting our lives in every area. That's not like, well, Jesus died a long time ago and that was cool then and now it doesn't really have effect now. And that, Or it doesn't mean that even though we live here now with the kingdom of God, that it's fully here, that, that there's this arrival that will be, the not yet, that Jesus will come back, that he will make things all right, restore them to himself. And that in that, that is a hope that we cling to. But if I'm honest, I don't typically have that attitude. And I don't know if you do. When you think about my attitude right now, and I, I recently changed it about a week ago because I realized that I was just cynical. I was probably fatalistic in some things, which wasn't healthy. I wasn't, I wasn't anybody, I wasn't being someone anyone would want to be encouraged by. Because you know what? I was waking up, I was getting on social media for like 20 minutes, 
I started to see people that I disagreed with. I wanted to write out things. I wanted to disagree. I started to get angry, frustrated. How could people have that worldview? How could they call themselves a Christian and say that? How could all these things be happening? Is there any hope? And, uh, and then I filtered the rest of my day. I, I became cynical. I, I started to want to engage in conversations with people I saw throughout the day or met with or called and uh, wanted to engage in that. And, um, and before I knew it, like my attitude throughout the day, throughout the week was not actually healthy. But, but honestly, how can I expect it to be healthy? If, if I'm the first thing I'm doing or, or throughout the day is spending my, my mind on things that are, are of the world that are causing frustration and tension, and I'm not filtering any of that through a lens of Christ, how can I expect my attitude to be any different? And so what I started doing was, you know what? And we, we made this funny rule in our house that we don't get on social media until we read our Bible. And it might be legalistic, but for uh, the time being, it's actually transformed our hearts. It's making us realize that we're not really allowed to see the muck and the mire of the world until we have a lens that we're reminded to filter it through, that we have the hope that's the here and now, that's the availability of the kingdom that sheds light on all of these issues. So I've been trying to develop a habit of, in the morning, I read the Bible, I pray, and then I read the news, and then I look on social media. And the ability to be able to filter a hope-filled, Christ-centered lens, and that has been just astronomically different. And uh and for some of us, in the same way in our race, we have to figure out, you know, what, is, what does that look like? What does it mean to cultivate a healthy attitude of the, the here and the not yet? A lot of us forget about the not yet. We're like, oh yeah, this is not our only life here on earth. We become so enthralled by the life here on earth, we forget about the hope that the, the gospel brings us for eternity. It's funny because uh, I had this experience in the marathon. It, it was race day, got up at 6 a.m. And uh, they, they start you at the finish line and they shuttle you the whole way to the start line. And in the process, you're going 50 miles an hour on a school bus for 35 minutes and you're realizing I'm going to run all of that back. And it was kind of a wild experience. And I'm sitting in the bus and everyone around me is like talking about like, oh, you're going to run Phoenix next week. Oh, you're going to you're going to fly to Colorado and do that in a month. They're like, oh yeah, I'm going to hit sub three this marathon. Like talking in like this language, right? And I'm just sitting there like, I didn't train as well as I should have. Uh, I've never really done this. This is not really my thing. And I felt really inadequate. I started to compare myself to others. And what I had thought was like my spiritual race that I was trying to be focused on. Um, and, and, and this, I became distracted by other people and external things. And I think oftentimes that becomes the case. It was the case for Paul. He basically says, hey, don't look back, but keep your eyes on the prize ahead. Keep your eyes on knowing and experiencing and growing in Jesus. And it's so easy for us, for me to sit around and be like, wow, I'm not in the right place. Or when I'm running, I'm like looking at all these other people that are whipping by me, that are way way better shape. Uh, when I started the race, I kid you not, I'm running. I'm like, this is awesome. Like what a, what a cool, hard thing to do. And then I look to my right and there's a guy running barefoot. And in the morning, the asphalt was so cold. I mean, it was like freezing. And he's just kind of like, ha. Ah like running on the asphalt, gonna run a marathon barefoot. And that was humbling. I was kind of like, man, like this is, wow, this is discouraging. That guy's, I'm wearing shoes. I must not be that great. It's so easy to find the people in our lives that we see their spiritual journey and we think, well, they're way ahead or they're not, they don't have obstacles or they're not experiencing hardship. And in reality, no, they really are. And we have to be able to understand how is that affecting our own journey? It's easy to run and, and get discouraged by the things around you by comparing yourself. And I think we have to realize that Paul, when he says this, when he says forgetting about his past, to, to not look back continually, that Paul had some serious baggage. I'm talking like, like being jail baggage because what happened was Paul was Saul before Jesus got a hold of him. 
And he was killing Christians. In fact, uh, we remember the guy, Stephen, who got stoned. He was holding the coats of the people who stoned him. Paul had had, had the order of arresting, beating, uh, persecuting Christians before this. Like, Paul has legitimate baggage. I'm sure that the devil was creeping in there and saying, hey, Paul, dude, you killed some of these people. Are you really worthy of speaking the gospel to them? Are you, your track record's not that good, man. People know who you are. And I think in the same way in our race, sometimes we are looking back in the rear view so much that we're not able to experience the joy of the journey, that we're not able to find joy in it and that we're just stuck. We're like, well, those two miles were trash, so I can't go any farther. It's not worth it. I, I can't do it. And and we, we just become discouraged. And so if that's you today in your spiritual journey, maybe you think you can't even start because of all the baggage in the past. I want you to know that the gospel sets you free in that, that, that the prize at the end of the race is something that's way more powerful than any of the past baggage that you have. And Paul knows that. And that's why he says, I keep my eyes on the prize. I don't succumb to the past in the way that it's weighing me down. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because the main reason why we chose this letter as a church and why we believe that it's powerful today and that it was powerful to the Philippians is that it was written to a church. It was written to a, a, a group of people doing it together, suffering together. And so that's our last point. Number one was know your why. Number two, have the right attitude and uh, posture. And number three is you press on together. You press on together. Paul says twice, I press on, meaning I've evaluated the difficulty. I've seen the tension, the circumstances, and I press on, I move forward. And this isn't like a, hey, just, just do better. Just do more things. Just, just do better and do more because that's exhausting. And that's not the gospel because what you're doing then is you're trying to achieve an intimacy with Jesus based on the things you do rather than what he has done. And that's not going to get you anywhere. That's going to that's gonna make you exhausted. It's going to make you tired. And, uh, and you have to know that. And, and in that, we have to know that when we're pressing on, this is the attitude and posture, we have to know that we're going to face hardship, that it's, it's, it's not possible to follow Jesus and not face hardship. Paul says that in order to share in his resurrection, that we also have to share in his death. If you've heard the phrase, take up your cross, that's what that means, that we will enter into suffering like Jesus, that we be with Jesus, we're crucified with him and raised alive with him. And so as I ran my marathon, I had known, I had heard the stories, talked to people that, that the marathon is really the hardest around mile 18 to 20, 22. It's then that you realize, oh wow, I've been running for like three hours. Uh, I've ran like a, a half marathon plus some, and I still have eight more miles to go. I still have a 10K to run. And you start to hurt in areas you didn't even know could hurt. Like you're like, oh, I didn't even know I had a muscle like that went over here and hurt when I ran. And your shoes feel like your feet, you can't feel your feet, you're sweating, you're chafing, whatever. It's terrible. And you're like, I don't know if I can do this. And, and you have to know those moments in the middle of it. And you have to be willing to press on. And I think that in the moments of our, our culture today, what are the things that help us press on? And why did Paul write this letter? Paul wrote this letter so that these people would press on together. They would be unified together. One of the things that, that I feel like uh, is, is, is so effective of our um, spiritual journey is if we're willing to see other people in it. I, uh, I, used to, I ran a race a while ago in college. It was a 10K and it was called the Hot Chocolate 10K, which seems like a great idea. And I thought it was at the time, but uh, you run in November in Chicago and, um, and at the end of the race, you get this bowl of hot chocolate with chocolate fondue and bananas and anything terrible to eat after a race. But I ran the race and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, take, I'm gonna get the full experience. I'm just gonna, 
I'm just going to run as fast as I can and I'm going to experience everything. And so mile one comes and I see people handing out Tootsie Rolls and I think, you know what? I paid 50 bucks. I better get my money's worth. So I start, I just take like two or three Tootsie Rolls and I'm like running, you know, like I'm trying to run like, I don't know, a seven minute mile. Like I'm like, I'm running. Like I'm like, I'm out of breath. I don't even, can't even breathe. And then I put Tootsie Rolls in my mouth and I ended up chewing on them for like two miles because you can't run and chew Tootsie Rolls if you're wondering. And then I get to the next relief, whatever station they call it, and they're handing out marshmallows. And so I'm like, well, I paid 50 bucks. I got to eat the marshmallows too. And so I start eating the marshmallows. And, and it, it just, I mean, it wrecked me. I, I did finish the race. I had like a decent time, but the de- it definitely weighed down on me. And it's because I didn't have anybody running with me that who's ran it before, who's ran ahead of me. was like, hey, dude, whatever you do, don't take the Tootsie Rolls and the marshmallows. You can have it. They have tons at the end of the race. Didn't know that. You can do it without them. And in the same way, in the marathon, I had known this going in because I had done that. They tell you, hey, don't stop at every station. Don't do it. Don't drink Gatorade at every station. Just don't do it. Because by mile 20, you've had so much Gatorade in you that it hasn't been able to fully digest. You're going to feel like trash. And I think a lot of times in our race, we, we need someone. We need people in our lives. We need a healthy community. And we honestly, we, we need the Holy Spirit to be in tune with the Holy Spirit to be able to say like, yeah, keep running. Here's the things to avoid. Here's the things to move forward on. Because those things aren't bad, but in over, uh, overconsumption, they are really bad. And so the last kind of idea of, of, of pressing on together, when I ran uh, the marathon, the one thing that I think I really screwed up on was that I didn't, I didn't keep really track of my pace. I didn't um, follow a pacer. And these pacers are people who run the marathon, like a sign above them or on their back, and they run the marathon at that pace that is on their back. So you'll have one at four hours, 3.45, 3.30. And if you keep up with that pacer, you will run the marathon in that time. That's their goal is to pace you. Otherwise, you can lose track. Well, I didn't really pay attention, and so I ran, feeling good, ran my first half really fast, too fast. And that's why when I got to 18, 19, 20, I was like miserable, and I was sucking wind and, and in pain, and uh, taking. I was stopping at every station, every mile. Uh, and I think that we have to have the Spirit's uh, voice in our lives. We have to have people in our life because they're willing to say, Hey, you don't you don't have any joy because you don't even have time for it, or you're so caught up in other people running past you and you're you're caught in the rat race that you're not even able to find joy because you're 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 trying to find it in other people. Or hey, you keep looking back so much, you keep looking in your rearview mirror that you're not even enjoying the race now. You're not enjoying the 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 ways that God is moving in your life now. One of the most devastating things I think that we we can see in this year of 2020 in several years, is that we'd look back on this year and we'd almost be embarrassed by our inability to trust God in in the midst of all this difficulty. That we'd look back and be like, man, I just complained. I was miserable. I was cynical. I I didn't have any joy and I wasn't even fun to be around. And and I just think that would be devastating for us to look back and be like, no, we didn't we didn't have any grit through that. Like why did we why was that so hard? And so that's why I think in this time we got to know our why. We got to know what is our race? Why are we doing it? And it has to transcend our intellect to our heart, to our hands. It has to be willing to change our lives. And then we got to have the right attitude and the right posture. We got to know that there's going to be difficulty, that we have to know, we have to keep our eyes on knowing Jesus, that a lot of the things that we deem as important that Paul would say is actually garbage, that we know that, remember that, and that we do it together, that we press on through hardship together. And I know that for a lot of you, 
even if you got to the end of this message, which is it's hard now, you've been in online church for way too long, and you're getting frustrated, you're like, well, other churches are going back to me, and, 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 or, or you're like, I haven't seen people in too long, and, and I just want to go out and hang out with people or whatever, it's starting to get hard. And it's because like, it's easier when we do it together. The church is here to support each other. But I would encourage you that, that the church together is so much more powerful than just a service or a building, that it, that it actually is able to allow us to be intentional with the people in our lives, to be a good friend, a good neighbor to the people in our lives. And I think in the midst of that, that's this recipe for joy, that, that at the end of this race, Paul says, I have found the true joy in knowing Jesus now here and being excited for the joy that I will have in the not yet, that when the kingdom is fully here, when Jesus resurrects us, that we fully are able to experience joy. Let me pray for us. Lord, I'm just thankful for the book of Philippians. I'm thankful for its ability to permeate through the difficulty, the circumstances, the tensions in our life. Lord, I just pray that uh, this race that we're on, wherever we're at, some of us maybe need to just start in, in the right direction. I pray for their hearts, pray for their hearts to lean towards you, Pray for your spirit to help them, guide them, push them. Lord, I just pray that in the next weeks, months, some of us need to repent, Lord, of, of our doubts, of our frustrations, of our cynicism, of our anger. Lord, I just pray that you'd help fill us with the spirit, help fill us with the things of you, help us to have a joy that transcends the circumstances and the things around us. I pray that you'd help to remind us of our why, that your spirit would ignite a passion of our why. I pray that we would remind, remind ourselves that, help others remind themselves of that. I pray that you'd help us have the attitude and the posture that's needed to continue the race, that the race isn't always easy, that there's little hills, that there's, there's, there's um, problems that arise. I just pray that we would have the right attitude and posture in that. And Lord, lastly, I just pray that you'd help us press on together, that you'd help us be the church, that you've created this for us, that it's good for us. And I just pray that we would remember that, that we'd lean into it, that we wouldn't be so prideful that we, we don't have people in our lives that can speak into our lives in powerful ways, that we would uh, not be so caught up in thinking we're alone and isolated, that we would be able to reach out and be in community, even in the, in the process of everything that's causing difficulty. So Lord, we know that your joy is here now for us. It's available for us now through your son. And we pray that we would remember and be excited and be expectant of the hope that is the not yet that will come through your son. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.